0: Hello, everyone. My guest today is Brian Halligan. He's the co-founder and CEO of HubSpot, and he's co-authored two books, Inbound Marketing, Get Found Using Google, Social Media, and Blogs, along with Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. Recently, he's been writing about how to turn your startup into a scale-up. Top 10 highest-rated CEO by Glassdoor in 2014, 2015, and 2017. He was named an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2011 by Inc. Founders 40 in 2016. And Brian is now a senior lecturer at MIT Sloan School of Management, his favorite chair is Camp Harbor View. Brian, are you ready to take us to the top? Yes! And we have a guest today. Romeo, pan your camera yep. down real quick. Let's let's talk to your dog.
1: How are we doing, Rome?
0: <laughs> Ro... Romeo's excited. All right. Brian HubSpot, let's talk everything HubSpot. So I'm going to just jump right in because I think, uh, and we'll talk about kind of what you do as you go along. You recently put out a tweet written by, I think, a really great writer, Michael Simmons, about how Zuckerberg and Bezos are optimizing not for 10,000 hours on anything, as Malcolm Gladwell would advocate, but for 10,000 experiments. My question for you is at HubSpot, you have many different things you do, science fairs, things like that, which we'll talk about. But how do you maximize the number of experiments you're doing at any given time and have a decision process in place to quickly pick a winner to implement it?
1: Okay. I'm going to tell you the truth about that. The reason I tweeted that is I don't think we're nearly good at it, and we're not at Amazon level or Facebook level. So I sent that around to all our executives, and I tweeted it out to try to motivate the team, like, let's get better at this. Like, there's a reason Amazon and Facebook are doing so well, is they're great at experimenting. And the truth is, when we were very small, you know, 10 employees, 20 employees, it was easy to experiment. It gets harder, which is counterintuitive as you get bigger, because you have more people and you have more things. There's more value to experimentation but man, making those changes gets hard. So uh, I think I would give us a B on experimentation, and I want to get to an A+. plus. So I, I tweeted that because it's kind of aspirational for me.
0: What kinds of, I mean, when you say experiments, people could be thinking, well, is he talking about landing page experiments or whole new business model experiments or pricing experiments? Where do you aim, even aim your experimental firehose at?
1: Everywhere <laughs> is the real answer. Of course, landing page and all those growth uh, hacking methods, but- Sort of, we have a direct channel and we have an agency channel. Um, how do we experiment with with the with the shape of the organization and the commission plans and the structures to try to get much better alignment between our customers and our agency partners and our direct sales reps and our agency agency reps? And a lot of the problem as you get bigger is you do these annual planning cycles. And once a year, you make big decisions and you may change your go-to-market or change your setup. And it's just too slow. So what we try to do is break up little teams and let them innovate. Often we do this in Australia, actually, because they speak English and it's sort of an isolated place to experiment. And we try to learn things from them. And if they work, then we apply them to the whole company. But really, we want to experiment everywhere.
0: Can you tell me the last thing that came out of Australia where it was an experiment and it took off and you said, let's put it across the company?
1: Uh, yes, it was the way they're using our own products, our chat products on the website, our chat products used on our free users. So we give our free users free chat and support basically. Um, and a bunch of experiments around our partner channel and how we align our partner channel and our direct organization to maximize the benefits for everybody. So there were three or four over there that worked out really well. I'm going to very
0: quickly go back because uh, you, you said this on your Q3 and, or Q2 investor call, which I believe was it took you guys, you and Darmesh three years to hit a million dollars in revenue. And now you're doing almost a million dollars in subscription revenue a day. Uh, what percentage of that? You just mentioned your partner program. How many partners do you have? And what percentage of those new subscriptions and new revenue is coming through that
1: channel? Okay roughly 60% of our revenue comes from people buying directly from us and we train them and they go off and they use HubSpot for marketing and selling. Roughly 40% buy HubSpot through an agency partner, marketing agency, sales coach, or whatever. And that sales coach or that marketing agency really goes in and helps them implement it and helps them run HubSpot and helps them do marketing and selling. So it's like you get two models. You can do it yourself or you can have someone do it for you. And it's about a 40-60 split.
0: What size were you, and this is really for my listeners that are just launching their own companies and and helping them understand when they should think about a partner channel. What size were you guys in terms of revenue and maybe customer base when you started onboarding your first partners?
1: Okay. This was an experiment that worked. So early in HubSpot, uh, I said, we're going to be a direct company, at least for the foreseeable future. Product's not ready for an agency partner program. We're just not ready. This was 2006, by the way. uh, Yeah. 2006, 2007. At the time we had lots of leads come. We're good at generating leads. We use our own product. We drink our own champagne there. We we always have generated way more leads than we could handle, basically. And there were lots of leads coming in from agency partners. And I didn't want to call on them. I was like, we're just not ready. And I had this one early sales guy, named Pete Caputa. And he said, You know what? We ought to really call on those leads. And I was like, don't touch them. And like once a month he would come to me, he's like, dude, you, you're really, you're all wet here. We ought to call on these leads. <laughs> Why don't you run an experiment and on your nights and weekends, call on those leads and see if you can turn them into something. Within two months, he was our number one sales rep.
0: <laughs> oh my God. What did you let him have full creative control? He could decide what the kickback was and everything?
1: Well, we worked on some of that together, the commission rates and all that stuff, but he basically ran an experiment to try to figure out how to sell HubSpot through agency partner programs. He ran it for two, three months and we were like, well, this works and let's formalize it. And you know. 10 years later, it's 40% of our business. So he did a fabulous job. But that was one of our early experiments that just worked. This is one of the reasons I like experiments. So much.
0: And how many people now are our partners?
1: I think we have like 3,500 or so.
0: Our partners, yeah. Amazing. Let's go back now from a product perspective. So you really started, obviously, as a kind of a single mousetrap and then that grew and it got a little more complex and now you have really three different current platforms with a fourth on the way in the form of a customer hub next year break those down though break down those platforms for us in terms of when they launched and maybe why you launched let's just talk about the free crm aspect
1: okay when i think about hubspot inside my my head i think of it as kind of in these chapters and the first eight years of HubSpot was chapter one. We were an apps company. We built a marketing app. It was a really good app and marketing departments would buy it and enjoy it. Around three years ago, uh, we said, you know, we ought to get into the sales business. The way people are buying is changing a lot. We need to help them figure out how to sell better and build a modern platform to enable modern selling. And so we started with a, a Skunk Works little startup inside of HubSpot that I was part of and built our CRM product or our sales product. And we zigged and zagged and zigged and zagged. And my God, that second line of business is going insanely well. And so I described the process we're going through now as moving from a, an apps company to more of a suite company. Uh, uh, this year, first half of this year, we'll come out with a customer service product. So we'll have a, a marketing product, a sales product and a service product. So we're, we're in a our company in transition. That transition is non-trivial. Uh, it's a really, it's a really tricky transition to go from a one-product company to a multi-product company, and we struggled for a while. And this is the year we really, yeah, you know, kind of unlocked it and it really took off.
0: Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple: people always agree to my calendar back-to-back meetings, I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at NathanLatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay. At NathanLatka.com forward slash schedule helps me so much. And by the way, look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings. Okay. I do them back to back. Very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay. So I use the tool. It's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin. I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14 day trial. Isn't that great? I said, no. He's given us a 45-day free trial at NathanLatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not going to stay up forever, so go get it now. NathanLatka.com forward slash schedule. on the most recent investor call, one of the investors, you know, came on your moderator said, okay, what's your question? And he goes, Hey, you know, Brian, John, who's your, your CFO Kinzer. Hey, I saw your ARPU is down to $10,333 per customer. That's down 4% year over year. ARPU is obviously something people look at. You then countered and tried to explain, well, this sales platform starts at 50 bucks a month. So with higher volume there, that's a much lower price point, but I don't know if they, if they got it. How do you, how do you convince wall street and these people that sometimes going after volume and letting your customers grow
1: with you is the way to go. It's very tricky. Um we made it we made a decision. That our marketing product, the average revenue per customer is around thousand dollars right? We're talking and, monthly, right, Brian? Yeah, monthly. And our sales cycle was it was inbound. We would get leads, trial requests, stuff like that. And we use an inside Salesforce. It was about a 30-day sales cycle. Cost to acquire the customer is maybe thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars 14000 dollars And then, when we're going into the sales business, we said, okay, the marketing business is working, but if we were to start that marketing business over, what can we do to really lower that cost to acquire a customer, match the way we sell really with the way people buy, and, and see if we can scale it in a different way? So instead of using that 30 day inside sales model, Uh, inbound model. We we call that our content funnel. We use content to uh, uh, drive leads in. We said, let's build a code funnel is what we called it. It was basically a classic freemium model where we gave the CRM uh, software away for free, and then users would buy it for $50 per month. And so our cost to acquire a customer went from, you know, whatever, $13,000 to something like $1,000. So it dramatically dropped, but the total lifetime value is there as well. And so, what we look at internally is our old cost to acquire customer was let's say 13, 14,000, total lifetime value was maybe 55, 60,000. On the sales product, the cost to acquire was more like, you know, a thousand bucks and then $5,000 total lifetime value. What happened is we blend them together and our total cost to acquire is down or total lifetime value is down, but the ratio is up and that's what we want. We want the return on CAC to be higher. And we're just pouring new customers in at this lower price point, and then we're able to upsell them the marketing product. So this has really worked out quite well for us.
0: I'd like to dive into that next because my first ever kind of engagement with you and really learning from you was when a, when, when a mutual friend, Joe Barnhauer, uh, introduced us and got me some time with you in your office. And we were chatting briefly and you said something shocking, uh, which I loved. And then you grabbed the marker and you say, Nathan, let me show you how, how this works. And you started drawing a, drawing a chart on your board where you basically started draw, drawing axes. And it wasn't just a, a Cartesian plane. I mean, you had three, four, five things from a central point. And you said, Nathan, this is number of seats. This is number of contacts. This is number of blah, blah, blah. And these are all things you can use to drive up your RPO per account. Walk me through how you think about and identify what value unit is most important to drive higher price points on each of these platforms, sales, marketing, CRM, et cetera.
1: Okay couple thoughts on that. One mistake I think entrepreneurs make and investors make is they don't try to maximize the supply and demand curve. They just keep trying to drive those price points up.
0: Wait, what do you mean by the supply and demand curve?
1: Um, I mean, really map it. So there's some people out there that would spend $8 for HubSpot. And there's some people out there that would spend $10,000 for HubSpot. Everyone just rushes to the 10, right? That's just the knee jerk. How do we maximize ARPU? They end up going up market. What I and historically that's been the move because you couldn't really get at the low end of the market, but the internet kind of allows you to explore that low, fat, large, low end of the supply and demand curve, and so we went counterintuitively, you know, we explored both sides and we went down that supply and demand curve and we came out with our second product and it really opened up the number of customers we got and then we could start cross selling them and so that's the first comment I would make is in. We had a hell of a time convincing venture investors that SMB was a good place to make money. They had looked, they look at it and they said, well, Intuit was a good company, but who else? Good point. You know, there hasn't been a
0: lot. And they're looking up your beltway at Constant Contact going, they're adding 60,000 SMBs, but churning 50,000, right? It doesn't work.
1: Now, the key is you can now build an SMB business, but you have to do two things. One, you need to keep your cost to acquire a customer under control. You can't acquire customers through Google AdWords and TV ads and stuff like that because the math just blows up. Two, you need your retention rates to be at 100%. So at HubSpot, let's say we lose 17 customers a a, a year. Let's Let's say you start with 100 customers, you lose 17. Your pricing model's gotta be set up such that the 83 left pay you $17 more. So your net retention is 100%. If you can do those two things, my God is there opportunity in SMB. All the competitions up in the enterprise, SMB is where I think the next big giant companies are gonna be Shopify's Shopify is killing it. That's doing pretty well, zero. There's a bunch of these companies who are starting to figure out the new way to get at that SMB market. I'm super excited about that.
0: Last question on this part, how do you, because I think this is really important, how do you decide that the sales platform is going to, the pricing is going to be based off number of seats versus the CRM is number of contacts? I know that sounds trivial, but a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble finding that one value metric that they can actually tie pricing to.
1: Okay. we we spent hundreds of hours on this. <laughs> okay, good. Makes me feel we've better about spent, the question. We haven't spent... Thousands of hours on our price (laughs) model HubSpot. And by the way, I don't think we've got it right. We've got (laughs) it like vaguely right. But uh, it it, it has been a a nonstop topic. Uh, On the marketing side, the tricky thing for selling to a marketing department, most software companies these days sell per seat. But there's just not a lot of people in a marketing department. You know, we sell to a company with a startup. They get 50 employees and seven marketers. Just not a lot of seats there. And so we're like, well, how do you tie the value we deliver to uh, the amount they pay? And so we come up with this idea of just it's contacts. The more contacts in the, your database, the more you pay effectively. And so we have basic pro enterprise, like every damn software company out there. And then this, the y-axis is how many contacts you have in your database. What I like about pricing models like that is our incentives are aligned. The better our customers do, the more they pay. Yep. And so that's our marketing product. And then we come up with a sales product. And we're like, all right, you can't charge on contacts for sales guys because it's so random how many contacts they'll have. Um, and we don't want them spamming people out of the CRM system. So we use seats as a, as a close enough proxy. And so we have a marketing product based on contacts and a sales product based on seats. That is not ideal, uh, by the way, because you have to think about it. And you don't want people to, have to think about your pricing model. But it's working well enough at this point that we're sticking with that.
0: Generally, would you recommend a new entrepreneurs to focus on one of those value drivers or generally speaking, the more axes you have per product, the better to upsell people?
1: I think the simpler, the better. So when we first started HubSpot, it, it was like it was like the model T. Uh, I don't care what color you want it as long as it's black. Um, <laughs> we had a product called HubSpot, not basic pro enterprise. It was $250 a month. And that was it for the first five years of HubSpot. And then we got really bold, and we came out with HubSpot Basic, Pro, and Enterprise. And that was it for like three or four years. Then we raised our round from uh, Sequoia. And this guy like, named Pat Grady at Sequoia, Sequoia, who is an expert on pricing, and he was the one who schooled us on this kind of two-axis pricing. It's like, you need a second axis around something like contacts or seats. If you don't create that second axis, you won't get that uplift. When we did our round with Sequoia, our customer retention rate was something like 70%. Logo our re- or revenue? What's that? Logo or revenue? Logo. Okay. Around 70. I don't remember exactly. Our revenue retention rate, including upsell, was maybe 75. Since then, our customer logo retention rate, you know, is in the low 80s. So that's improved. But our, our revenue retention rate's 100%. And so the upsell went from 5% to 17%. And Sequoia's point was, you need to figure out a way for the customers you're delivering the most value to, to extract a little bit more value in a way that's not douchey. And and that has made all the difference for HubSpot. If our customer retention rate was 70 and our revenue retention rate was 75, I wouldn't be on this call with you today. We'd be part of some other company. It just won't scale. It'll scale when you're small. This is why cost to acquire matters. When you're small, you got a thousand customers. And and your and your uh, and your and your retention rate is seventy percent. You lose three hundred customers. You can replace the three hundred and add another five hundred relatively easily. If you got hundred thousand customers in your in your retention rate seventy percent, you lost thirty thousand customers to grow fifty percent. You got to add eighty thousand customers. The cost to acquire is what ends up getting you. So you got to nail both the cost to acquire has got to scale, and you've got to get a pricing model and a value prop such that you can get hundred percent revenue retention.
0: A great points, Brian. On that note, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite, besides your own, of course, what's your favorite business book?
1: Oh, oh my God, that's a great question. My favorite, you know, we read Blue Ocean Strategy when we first started HubSpot, and we've used that over and over. God, damn, and it, Brian, it,
0: you're aging yourself here. Blue Ocean Strategy, Yeah, all right.
1: <laughs> yeah I would, I, I, and like, it's just right on so many levels about so many things. Yeah, I still like that book.
0: All right, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now?
1: Uh, like everyone else on the planet, I'm trying to figure out what basis is doing so right.
0: <laughs> number three, is besides any of your own, is there a favorite online tool you use to grow HubSpot?
1: Yeah, Spotify. Number, <laughs> it's good, good energy, right? Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I get over eight a night and then I take a nap every day.
0: That's pretty good, and Brian, what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? I'm single, I
1: have a 13-year-old kiddo.
0: Single and ROM, right? Yep. All right, and how old are you? I'm 50 this year. 50, congrats, Take last question here. Take us back 30 years. What do you wish the 20-year-old Brian Halligan knew?
1: Dalai Lama's got a really good saying, live a good, honest, healthy, noble life. And then when you're old, you get to enjoy it twice. <laughs> um, and that's sort of how I like to live my life. Live as a Just try to do things right and do things I'm happy with. The other saying I like these days, my friend John Azeroth says all the time, it's like, do more of what you love, do less of what you tolerate, do none of what you hate. And that's sort of something I wish I had done earlier in my career.
0: There you guys have it from Brian earlier. He used the analogy. He's drinking his own champagne, not even Kool-Aid. That tells you about the culture at HubSpot. They're chugging champagne. Live life honestly, nobly. Do what you love. They launched back in 2006. They're now doing well over $280 million in revenue. Over 34,000 customers across 90 countries using three different core products. Their sales product, their CRM product, their marketing platform. Look out for their customer hub coming in 2000 and sorry, 2018, which will include many things like live chat, chat chatbots, things like that. Brian Halligan, thank you for taking us to the top.
1: Thank you.